Hey, beautiful soul. Welcome to Spirit Speakeasy. I'm Joy Giovanni, joyful medium. I'm a working psychic medium, energy healer, and spiritual gifts mentor. This podcast is like a seat at the table in a secret club, but with mediums, mystics, and the spiritual luminaries of our time. So come behind the velvet ropes with me and see inside my world as I chat insider style with profoundly gifted souls. We go deep, share juicy stories, laugh a lot, and it wouldn't be a speakeasy without great insider secrets and tips. You might even learn that you have some gifts of your own. So step inside the Spirit Speakeasy. Hey, beautiful soul. Welcome into the Spirit Speakeasy. Whether you are a returning friend of the podcast or listening for the first time, this conversation has so much. Today, we're going to be talking with Brenna Gebauer, who is a transformational coach and psychedelic guide, uh, who also has a degree in psychology. Now, I don't believe in coincidences. Those of you that know me know this about me. And over the past, I don't know, year or two, I've had so many clients asking me about the use of psychedelics in a therapeutic way, whether they're wanting to get in touch with their spiritual gifts or have a spiritual experience or move through their grieving process. I've just had so many people bring this up and ask me questions recently. And as it would happen, serendipitously, I just so happened to have a client that I've been working with and they shared that they have been working with a facilitator to do psychedelic journeys in a therapeutic way. And of course, I had so many questions and they graciously agreed to share her name and contact information and allow me to let Brenna know that we have this mutual client and would she be willing to chat with us? And you know, I had so many questions. Uh, I really tried to ask all the questions about psychedelics, about what that journey is like, about how the facilitation works and what can happen and if it's scary and all the things. Uh, and Brenna graciously in this conversation shares about her own journey, shares lots of examples with us, and really answers my questions in such a profound and beautiful way. So with all of the information that's been coming our way lately uh, through media, there are so many documentaries, lots of celebrities are sharing stories about journeys on different psychedelics. I really wanted to have someone trustworthy and experienced and who is in integrity and practicing in an ethical way. And Spirit brought her to us. So how amazing is this? So without further ado, uh, let's just get right into this conversation with the incredible soul, Brenna Gebauer. Hey, beautiful souls. Welcome into Spirit Speakeasy. Grab your cup of something and get cozy. This is not a conversation to be missed. I'm just going to launch into the bio of the beautiful Brenna Gebauer. Mm. Uh, Brenna is a Southern California-based transformational coach and psychedelic guide with a degree in psychology. Prior to this, she spent decades building the ideal career based on society standards. Does this sound familiar to any of you? <laughs> uh, it left those external boxes checked, but her soul was still feeling empty, and psychedelics found her when she needed them the most. It was through a five-year personal journey developing a relationship with multiple tools to become more aligned with herself that she mm. surrendered to the path unfolding for her. Mm. After a 10-day silent meditation retreat, she followed her inner wisdom to support making psychedelics available 
for more people to utilize for healing and growth. And as a result, she has witnessed countless individuals Mm. change the course of their lives through facilitating experiences so they can become more authentic and loving versions of themselves. Her work is centered around creating a sacred container for the soul nourished by compassion and love. Her focus is on tapping into inner wisdom and cultivating self-love as a means of supporting healing and creating deep connection. Outside of the one-on-one facilitation, Brenna is co-founder of Epic, which is the ethical psychedelic international communities, as well as work alongside leaders in the field, developing a code of ethics for psychedelic assisted therapy in the above grounded spaces. And she is the founder of Journey into Psychedelics. Help me welcome Brenna Gebauer. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thank you. It was really nourishing just to hear you read that. So I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. Well, and I love that. I mean, there's so much springing up uh, around psychedelics. I mean, I think we all have access to, and many of us have seen like the documentaries and mm-hmm. the info things. And we hear about people going to other countries to experience plant medicine and psychedelics. But the way that you're practicing and facilitating just seems so grounded in science and the therapeutic process. Mm-hmm. So I'm so excited to share your work and your perspective. Yay. Yeah. I'm excited to share with you and your audience and I think that's the most important thing right now is having conversations about this that are outside necessarily the research and the media to really understand what this is all about. Do you feel like, I mean, launching right in, a lot of my clients have been asking about psychedelics for therapeutic use recently. And so it's, you know, as most things are perfectly like serendipitous timing Mm. for us to be chatting. Do you feel like there's a time in someone's life when this is best applied? Do you feel like it's Mm. case by case? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, From my personal framework, I do find it important that someone is grounded in themselves um, in starting this, meaning that uh, I personally don't choose to work with people that are under a certain age of brain development, often like 23, 24, 25. And then it's a case-by-case basis uh, for the individual. For me, when uh, in, in my experience... It found me when the time was right. And when I have conversations with people who are in that curious state of exploration, uh, I often encourage them to trust their intuition that they'll know, right? It's almost like there's this seed that gets planted in someone and it's watered through different uh, articles they find or different conversations they have with other people who have experience in this. And at that point, I, I, I trust that the right doors open. for you to find the right facilitator or the right circle to sit with. So I I think it's a combination of things. But really, for me, this is very intuitive work. And to use this as a catalyst to trust, you'll know when it's your time to be with different medicines in different expanded states. I love that. I know you said that, I mean, and in your bio, the way that it found you really was a bridge into Mm -hmm. you ultimately deciding to facilitate this work. Are you open to sharing a little bit about your journey with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, I, uh, I've i always been connected to plants. I, when I was growing up, I was in a rural area. So I have cookbooks of the women in my family using plants as healing agents. So I've always seen that. plants as medicine. It's just because of my upbringing and being very religious and society and all that jazz kind of took me away from that idea 
And there was a point in my life where I talks about it in my bio where it was just like the soul yearning for more. And at that point, I started uh, really sitting with myself through meditation and exploring different frameworks of spirituality. And it was an intentional invitation, I think, at a soul level to invite in a willingness to look deeper in myself. And mushroom showed up. I, there was no part of me that was looking for it, but it was just like, okay, I've set this intention and this thing is present. And honestly, I had had, you know, recreational use of psychedelics decades before mm-hmm. and concert scenarios. And so I just started trusting myself and sitting with uh, that medicine primarily initially and then other medicines uh as I started wanting to explore in different ways. And it was just almost like um, it met me when I was ready to meet it. And and I find psychedelics are a wonderful tool as we have many uh, around us. It's just being able to open yourself to what that tool can offer for you and your own unfolding. Hey, beautiful soul, I want to hear from you. Give me a call on my new Spirit Speakeasy hotline and tell me the story of your sign or communication that you received from your own loved one in the spirit world, and you might even be featured on an upcoming episode of Spirit Speakeasy. Call me now, area code 305-928-LOVE. That's 305-928-5683. 305-928-LOVE. I hope to hear from you soon. Well, I love that you bring up the distinction between recreational use and therapeutic use. Would you just, for people that are totally new to this, would you just kind of touch into like the difference yeah. in those? <clears throat> yeah. And I, I love this question. And I do want to just start by saying, I believe that both are very powerful experiences, especially when you are in the right set and setting, which we can talk about if it feels right, um, and intention. So even if you break down the word recreation, it's recreation. Oh, wow. So one of the things about um, more therapeutic use and the way that I work is the container of which we're doing this work is often much more intimate. So how I look at psychedelics, there's the psychedelics that you use when you're using your five senses and going outward. And all of the senses that we have at our disposal are these wonderful gifts to be able to experience the world. It's very vibrant. It's very loud. There's a lot going on. And sometimes it keeps us from really looking inward. Yeah. And so the container of more therapeutic use is using these as a tool to go inside of yourself. So within that, you're often turning down the senses. So that's why when you will look at some of the publications, you'll see people in eye shades wearing headphones like the ones that you are having. And those are utilized to really diminish the senses and use these as a tool to access the things that you may not have access to just because of everything that's going on around you. So that's, I think, one of the biggest delineations between the therapeutic container. And and there is also all of the intentions going into it. You know, if you're using it as a means of connecting with nature, that's one thing. But the way that I tend to focus on this is using it as as a means to connect with yourself. And I, I think that can be so powerful if supported 
you know, in the best way for the individual. Let's just, if you don't mind, let's just um, mention the psychedelics that you're talking about so Mm -hmm. people know exactly kind of the bucket of what are the options in there. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm primarily going to be talking about MDMA and classic tryptamines, which are psilocybin and LSD. There are many other psychedelics that are out there and they're getting a lot of publications. Ayahuasca is one many people have probably heard of. DMT is another. I'm happy to, if it feels right, touch on them. But um, primarily what we're seeing right now in what's being legalized and what is most commonly used in therapeutic purposes, it's currently MDMA and psilocybin. Okay. And psilocybin is like the chemical that is in plant mushrooms, right? Yeah. So psilocybin is what is considered magic mushrooms. There's tons of mushrooms out there. We're seeing all the adaptogens, but psilocin, psilocin is what breaks down inside psilocybin that creates the compound that is what makes the magic happen. So it's very scientific and technical, but psilocybin is what's considered to be magic mushrooms or what is used for psychedelic therapy. Well, and it is what I love about your work that you have this beautiful blend of, you know, wanting to to be ethical and therapeutic and and mm-hmm. have the scientific understanding and the, you know, health-based and then mm-hmm. also using this intuitive. I love the way you say it, the container to help people move into self-love and self-understanding. Yeah. So it's it's an incredible balance. So if mm-hmm. someone is like, "Okay, I'm interested in potentially looking into this as an option, will you just give me a little bit of a run through? Like when a client comes to you, I mean, obviously you've said that it's not maybe for every client at every time. How do you, how do you know? A conversation and intuition. So uh, when someone finds me, the first thing that happens is uh, I like to jump on a call just so that we can get acquainted with each other. Because one of the things I advocate for more than anything is finding the right fit Uh, When it comes to doing soul work, I think that is so important. And so it's not just, I think one of the things that's outside uh, a traditional therapeutic model is I want them to know my story and my path that led me here so that if there is a connection, they know that I'm walking alongside them. It's not outside of my scope to understand their journey and to hear what they're bringing and what they're coming forward with and really to share some of the things that I hold very dearly for myself in this work. Um, you know, I'm a nurturer, for example. So like I prepare food for people while we're in the container together, because most of the people that find me are the natural caretakers in their life or the yeah. people that hold a lot. So just to be able to receive from I someone can be a very loving thing. Whereas for other people, they might want a more traditional scientific container or a more traditional therapeutic container. So finding a facilitator or a guide that feels like it's matching what will create safety and security for you and trust, I think is foundational. So really having that conversation to see if there's the alignment there. There's other things that are really important, like are you on specific medication? Do you have any diagnosis or family diagnosis of borderline personality disorders? Those are things that are really important to know moving into it, just because that kind of sets the framework of possibility, whether this is the right fit or the timeline. Uh, And that being said, if I'm not the right fit for somebody, I'll do everything I can to find the right fit. Because I truly believe that we heal together. And if someone's committed to this and they just say, 
I want to do this, but maybe the way that you do this work doesn't feel aligned for me, then all I need to hear is this is what would feel you know, more aligned for my journey, for example, whether it's working with someone that's in a male bodied or identifies with a different orientation. So those things to me are part of what makes this space really beautiful is it really is a mycelial network of finding the ways that we can connect each other. Because to me, this is all about fostering more connection within ourselves and in the world around us. Well, that's such a great point that I I maybe hadn't even, even considered that based on someone's life and mm-hmm. trauma and experiences, they might feel comfortable with one version of a facilitator mm-hmm. versus another. I love that you call yourself a guide because I mm-hmm. think that's just – I mean, I do think there has to be – maybe it doesn't have to be, but it feels good that there would be this relationship with you and your – I don't know, do you call them a patient or client – I call them journeyers. Oh, you're journeyers. <laughs> I like that even more. Um, no, because you have to, there has to be a level of trust for them mm-hmm. to let go fully, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. And that's why my process leading up to this is – it's not what I would consider slow, but we're not jumping right into the medicine work because if there is not trust – then it's really hard to, you'll hear words like surrender. Like what does surrender even mean for some people? And I I tend to find a lot of people want to hold on to control more than we like to admit or that we are fully aware of. So to let go of control for a period of time, especially when we're talking about at the brain level, can be very foreign. So I think if you feel safe, and you trust that you are with someone that is going to tend to and take care of whatever shows up for you, it enables that to be something that is more easily accessible. And that's a a huge part of why building that cornerstone, that foundation prior to the medicine work to me is, um, it's crucial, not just uh, for the journey I'm working with, but for myself, you know, to know that we are going to be in this very intimate place and that there is a trust there that I'm going to be safe too. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, someone is going into a very expanded state. So mutual trust to me is what builds safety. Well, and I love the way that you said it too, because it's, I think that can be a scary part is like, okay, I don't know this person at all. And now Mm -hmm. I'm going to just go into this expanded state or altered state. And and it just feels – that feels like a fast jump. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're sharing that, no, like there's a process here and there's, you know, relationship building and exchange and lots of talking, it sounds like, that happens to, you know, before you're moving to that next phase of experience, right? Yeah. uh, There's – if we, after the initial phone call, decide that this feels good, this feels right, then um, we'll set a timeline for how it's going to unfold. And prior to the medicine work, there'll be a minimum of three times that we connect. Um, One of which is what I call an intake, even though I I prefer the term constellation of life. It's all the things that are woven to really bring us to this moment now where you've decided this is someplace that you'd like to explore. And it's really to set the foundation of awareness of what can come up. Uh, but it's more than just, you know, the trauma history or familial background. It's also right. lifestyle because I believe that this is holistic work. There's a lot we can learn from, for example, gut health 
or sleep patterns that are often overlooked in our traditional medical model. So it's really weaving all of those things together and getting curious about how they tie into one another. And then from there, it's really having conversations leading up to set intentions to talk about the things that are arising. Because one of the most interesting things that I have learned in this process is that when someone makes the decision to do this, it is inevitable that the process of preparation, things are going to come to the surface that are truly unexpected. And it's almost like the subconscious has been given this invitation that there's a willingness to see it. And life just happens and unfolds in ways. I can't tell you how many different circumstances have arisen where something has been so surprising for someone that it would start showing itself in like the weeks before our journey. And it's wonderful to be able to say, okay, like this thing is happening right now, whether it's, you know, an ex that they haven't talked to in so long, reaching out to them. And they're like, I haven't talked to this person for four years. Why are they calling me right now? And then it's like, let's get curious. What emotions is this bringing up for you? There may be something that is unfinished with that relationship and it's showing up for a reason and looking at it from that perspective is often a very powerful lens for learning from it. And then the medicine is just this awesome springboard to be able to deepen whatever was showing up and why Uh, I, I don't, necessarily believe in coincidences, even though (laughs) I think from sometimes the more scientific mind that can be frustrating for people. And I work with a lot of scientists and it's fascinating when I'll say, I don't believe in coincidences and they hesitate until they do this work and they're just like, okay, right. That can't be a coincidence. It's too, it's too real for it to be anything other than that. So that to me makes this to me, it makes it very powerful because it takes the the medicine out of being the agent of transformation. Right. And it really supports uh, allowing the individual doing this work to understand that this is an empowerment tool for them to transform themselves. And what are – you mentioned the things that can come up. I am a, a reforming uh, – control freak. So (laughs) it is one of my, like, I haven't experienced this yet. And it is one of my hesitations sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know that sometimes it it can feel like anxiety producing to, you know, think of, like you said, surrendering or releasing control Mm -hmm. or going into this altered state. What are some of the like types of things that can come up for people? Yeah. Um, so it really varies from person to person, but one of the things that I tend to find is whatever the part of you that doesn't get as much attention uh, can often become the focus of the medicine bringing you into yourself. So I'll give you an example. Okay. Often the most talkative people that come to me in preparation are the most silent during their journey. It's wow. almost like that verbal part of themselves goes offline. Or I've worked with many people who identify as super strong and just very capable and able-bodied. And they have that, like strength is their armor. And they'll go into, I've seen people go into childlike states of being very weak and very timid. And they need that armor to almost tone down or give space for the other parts of oneself to emerge. And so uh, for people, for example, who like to control things, then sometimes there will need to be a little bit of uh, 
a strength from the medicine to get you to relinquish control in whatever way that may show up, just so that that part of yourself that is protecting you, and, and often these are protectors, right? Yeah. These are these are adaptations we have so that you can be able to go into the more tender, delicate parts of yourself that have been hiding underneath it. Yeah. And that's really where the magic lies because you never know what's going to be there. As much as I've, I've seen so much during this work, even in myself, I have stopped trying to predict what's going to show up, whether it's right. past life regression or whether it's facing your deepest fear or understanding that an example for me is um, I was always told I had asthma and I did have breathing challenges. And in one of my journeys, I came to this awareness that being an athlete and my dad being my coach, I developed something that resembled asthma as a coping technique so that he wouldn't push me to go farther than my body wanted to go. Wow. So it was my body just protecting itself in a way that would be responded to by the outside world. Couldn't have seen that coming. Never would have thought it. And then as a result of that, did something shift in the way that asthma-like condition manifests in you? it, It had been something that had subdued after I stopped being around, for example, you know, competitive athletics. Yeah. And I would still identify as someone who had asthma. Like if mm-hmm. a doctor asked me about my medical history and now it's, it's not a problem. It's never been an issue since. And it really was, it, it was just one of those aha moments where I was like, oh, right. it makes so much sense. Yeah. But I had just developed this idea of who I was based on these circumstances. And now I see it through a very different lens. I think that's really profound because I think it applies to all of us in some area of our life where we, you know, get this pattern or program or Mm -hmm. beliefs of others or our our own system trying to protect us or help us in some way that might not be, you know, who we truly are or Mm -hmm. something we need to identify with. So I think it's a beautiful kind of result that can happen from this is Mm -hmm. putting those dots together and, and, these are the types of epiphanies, I guess, that can come through the work that you do. Yeah. I think those are actually some of the most common is I, I often invite people to get out of their minds and into their hearts and, and talk to yeah. that space, but also really to start getting curious about what's actually yours, like what's true to your natural state and what has been conditioned into you yeah. for your life. And I, I don't think any of us have come into this world without some level of conditioning, starting from you know the name we're given or yeah. to the language we're taught. We don't necessarily sure. have choices about these things. But when you can start getting curious about how they have impacted how you show up in this world, then it gives you more power of choice if yeah. that really is in alignment with how you want to continue. Because you know it, it feels at times... For me, anxiety is like a big thing that I hear people um, coming to this work from. And I'm not saying this is a blanket statement, but I think a large percentage of the time, anxiety is a byproduct of your inner landscape and your outer landscape not being in alignment. Yeah. And when you can start bringing those in closer alignment, I have seen time and time again that anxiety starts to diminish in very natural, organic ways without much effort. But it's just bringing that harmony into your way of showing up in this world. I love that. 
I also think it's really cool that you, like you said, you, you set the timeline together <laughs> with your journeyer um, for what feels, you know, comfortable and, and a good timeline for both of you. Yeah. Once someone has like moved through that timeline, you've done the initial talks and set the intentions. What is the actual, like say it's going to be the day of mm-hmm. the journey. What yeah. does that look like? So for me and my work, I do what I consider to be roughly a 40 hour ceremony. And that is different than a lot of uh, different guides. Yeah. But I really want to support people looking at this as a, a life event, not just a therapy appointment for yeah. one. And also unplugging from mm-hmm. the outside world. I, I, It's probably a byproduct of my own nature, but it's like when you go on vacation, it takes a little bit of time to settle into being on vacation. Yeah, and so we spend the first evening together. Uh, we connect and oftentimes we m- haven't met in person. We've just been on Zoom calls and I'm sure you feel the same way when you're in someone's physical energy, it can be very different. And so settling in energetically, um, cleaning, cleansing the energy of the space, uh, I'll cook a meal to nourish them through the next day. And then we'll start going over their intentions and really looking at what is present today um, and weaving how to bring those into the the medicine work. And after that, we're going to have a deep discussion about what can show up uh, and tools and resources to be able to utilize during the journey itself. And this is really for the mind because after this conversation, the goal is to answer all the questions that the mind probably has and a whole lot more that it didn't know it needed to ask so that it can go on vacation because there's literally an invitation for the brain to take a day off knowing that it's going to be able to come back and we can even decide where it's going to go or it can have a choice so that the next day can really be about embodiment and being in the soul and being in the heart space. Uh, So when we wake up the next morning, uh, often the invitation is to move the body a little bit, whether that's through yoga, stretching, taking a walk, potentially letting go of things that are apparent that are ready to be released. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big advocate of using nature as a catalyst to do that because Mother Earth can hold a whole lot more than I can. And so the intentionality of giving it in a way that you know it's going to be held can often just give space for that top level to make room for the deeper stuff to arise. And so when it comes time to do the the medicine work itself, we'll do the eye shades and the headphones. Um, And we've built what I call a nest wherever we're working. It's funny because there's this idea of like maybe being on a couch or a bed. Usually we end up like building a fort with pillows and a mattress off a bed in the middle of a large space somewhere. So it's kind of very childlike and playful, but it's really to give like spaciousness and room to expand. And after the medicine has been consumed, it's like whatever's going to show up is going to show up and we're there for it. You know, we're, I'm there to hold, but I'm also, um, I trust the medicine and the inner intelligence of the individual I'm working with. So often I'll do my best to hold at a minimal, um, Mm -hmm. and not try and get in and force things or pretend I know what's more going on in this scenario than another person. And this is all discussed the evening before, uh, and usually the journeys are between four and six hours. 
So there are chapters that often show up throughout. And at the end of it, it's about grounding and coming back into presence, uh, eating some really like yummy, nourishing food just to get back into this being and, mm-hmm. and then tending to whatever shows up. And that's different for everybody. Yeah, you know, Some people are very animated and lively and want to turn on music and dance. Some people want to go out and be in nature. Some just want to be with their journal and quiet. So honoring what that feels like. And typically it's an early night uh, to go to bed and, and just be able to rest into things. But what is talked about prior is that we don't need to figure anything out afterwards. Okay. It's just being with it because when the brain comes back on, there can be that like, wow, what just happened? How yeah. do I put the pieces back together? And so that's why the next morning is dedicated specifically to integration because the preparation, the journey, and the integration to me are all very important chapters to be honored independently and not get ahead of oneself. So the next morning, the integration is really taking the experience that the individual had and then the experience I had, because I'll be taking notes, somatic, energetic, verbal for the the individual throughout, okay. and then we'll weave it together. And um, that that is for I, I try and make it pragmatic and workable, you know, yeah. because we are living in this world. So I want to give a few paths forward if they feel very organic and and there. Because there is what they call the window of neuroplasticity. The highest Mm -hmm. is usually about two weeks after the journey. So if there are obvious things that are ready to be changed, you know, like from being more in the body, then starting a new habit of exercising, walking, going to dance classes, whatever that may be, starting it sooner rather than later is going to give you a higher chance of making new grooves in the brain. Uh, And then also knowing what can show up afterwards, because after you've been in an expanded state, you're still expanded and things are going to continue to show up in your life in ways that you can't even imagine. So uh, I worked with somebody, for example, that um, identified as a huge coffee drinker, loved coffee, tapering off coffee was the hardest part of the preparation. And then after their, their ceremony, when they would walk out the house with their coffee going to work, their entire soul, like their being would just feel disgusting. And they were devastated because they identified as someone who loved coffee. And then they tried to drink coffee on the weekend when they would make a nice cup and sit and watch their dog play in the yard. And it was totally okay. So it wasn't about the coffee. It was about the speed of consumption and like just putting something in the body without thinking about it or turning it into a ritual. So then it became this lesson in how to create these small rituals in life in which that felt more nourishing rather than just going through life in an unconscious way. Yeah, Couldn't have known that was going to show up. So it's getting really curious about how you feel doing the day-to-day things in life and using that as another part of the unfolding to make the adjustments that feel aligned for you. I love that because I think – I mean, you've, I have so many questions now. You've said so many things. But, but <laughs> thank you for sharing all that because I do think there, that's the part that maybe we don't hear as much about in these documentaries and stuff is these these other shifts and awarenesses and and like you said, even just with the coffee, realizing mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, it's about the way I'm treating myself mm-hmm. as part of this consumption and not maybe about the 
coffee itself. What just to go back a little bit, when you're in that evening before period mm-hmm. and you're setting the intentions, what are some of the types of intentions that people might have or choose? Yeah. So um, prior, we have been in conversations about this. So it really depends on the individual. I have somebody that I'm going to be working with very soon. And the initial desire to come and do this was to process trauma that has happened and really work through these incidents in their life. But through the preparation process, we've learned that, you know, and, and they have done therapy for years to try and understand it and recycle all of the, the experiences. And what we've come to is the intention is to uh, find out what authenticity means for this person how to be more authentic within themselves because so much of the experiences they've had were a byproduct of not being authentic for themselves. And Mm -hmm. part of that was because of what we talked about before, for example, the conditioning of how you're supposed to show up in this world. And those things kept the authenticity from being a focus. And it's okay not to know you know, it's okay to yeah. say, I don't even know who my authentic self is. And so then it becomes a really like rich area of exploration to go in with an intention of, I want to know my authenticity. Um, so yeah. that would be one example. Uh, often common examples would be something like um, diminishing anxiety, for example. Uh, and often those sorts of experiences need to be more filtered, like getting specific with your intention is like, what are the catalysts for me experiencing anxiety in this world? And often the specificity to that can uh, allow the medicine to meet you wherever you're at. And uh, often the answers you get are very unexpected from what you would have thought they would be. So uh, with the intentions, it, it really is part of the preparation process to hone in through the conversations to what would be the, the best intentions to start with. And the other that I always invite for people uh, is to trust that the medicine will help whatever is ready to be seen to show up. And yeah. so that's part of, you know, yes, have it feeling like I have a little bit of control by having my intentions and also to surrender to the fact that I don't know what I don't know. And I'm curious to get to know that too. Well, and I mean, it sounds, you and I talked previously about like how Mm -hmm. much overlap there is in our work, but sometimes with my work, sometimes what we think we want or need is not actually Mm -hmm. the thing, you know, it's (laughs) something that our ego or our conscious mind Mm -hmm. is creating, but what we actually need or want or the best and highest for us is something totally different, maybe adjacent and maybe not. So mm-hmm. I love that you have that space in there for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's, I think it's more common than not that yeah. if we knew what we needed, we would, <laughs> we would do it. be able to offer it to ourselves. <laughs> and one of the ways that I describe this work, especially using the therapeutic context as an, another framework is you go to therapy and you think you know what the problem is. So you turn the flashlight on that and it can often shed some light into a specific area of focus, but maybe you're shedding the light on the wrong place. And there's so much more that maybe around that, that we're not looking at. And so I tend to find psychedelics are like turning on 
the all the lights in the garage, right? Or all the lights in the attic where you're able to sift through the stuff that you haven't been looking at and see how interconnected maybe the thing is to the light that yeah. you've been shining, but you were just outside the scope. And so what is really neat to witness is that often the answers are so clear and simple and you knew them somewhere inside of yourself. Yeah. It's just, there was something that got in the way of you trusting that you had that, you know, that inner wisdom to tap into. Makes so much sense. I feel like one of the questions I need to ask you, just because I think this is a thing a lot of people are curious about, mm -hmm. is when they're in the process of like they've taken the medicine and then they're, you know, their their body's processing the medicine and they're going to enter into the journey part of it, like the actual mm -hmm. experience when they're on the psychedelics. I don't know the best way to say it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. What are some of the ways, like what are some of the things that can happen in there? What are some of the ways that looks for yeah. different people? Great question. Uh, I don't, I guess maybe I'll try and bucket this. Okay. Okay. So there are the, the still people who are just almost in a cocoon with themselves and they will be there for as long as they need to. I've had people just be in their own inner landscape for six to eight hours. Um, there are the somatic journeys, which can be really powerful because of how much we hold in our nervous system, where mm. you're literally moving energy through your body or you're tapping into a part of yourself, meaning like sometimes people can have like handshake or leg shake and that's just energy moving. At times it can correlate to a memory coming up that okay. you had unprocessed trauma from and being able to move that through your nervous system can also show up, uh, you know, by way of being able to stretch and move and find out where you're holding different things in your body. Um, for other people, they can have very verbal journeys where they're just in this state of communicating what they're experiencing. And it's uh, sometimes in the nature of talking through it with yeah. with me in the space or at times just talking it out loud. Uh, and then there can be the the very like spiritual journeys, the we're outside of ourself. You know, we have mm -hmm. tapped into another planar dimension. And those I would say are four of the very common. How they show up is different for everybody. You know, yeah. they're but those are and, and they can oscillate between the two. There can literally be chapters of silence and then chapters of talking and chapters of movement. But those are often the ways that you'll flow in and out of the medicine work. And most of what I'm saying here is orienting to um, psilocybin, but MDMA tends to be more verbal and also really supportive of moving energy through the nervous system. So okay. it's kind of bucketing them into two different types of journeys. And honestly, if you think you know what kind of journey you're going to have, chances are it's kind of like thinking we know what we need, that yeah. it might be very different from that. And do you find that like if someone – well, first I guess I should ask, do people have more than one journey? Like is it common for mm -hmm. people to come back and re-journey? Yeah. Uh, it's, I, it is not uncommon at all. And it's often a conversation. It's almost like you – you have this new awareness and you work through this layer of what showed up and each journey often starts off where the last one ended and okay, you can go deeper and deeper. And I really encourage people to build a toolkit for themselves 
of different ways of expanding their state of consciousness. Uh, plant medicines and psychedelics happen to be one fast track way. Um, meditation is a wonderful way to stay in connection uh, for other people. It is, you know, working with being in nature, you know, just going yeah. and being in nature can be very expansive. So it's, it's building a toolkit and trusting yourself to know what's right. And then having, having people in your life that can help guide you. So I'll use myself as an example for this. Um, there's almost like a, a drum in my body that starts beating when it's time for me to do a journey. And I sit with that and I really inquire what kind of journey is going to be nourishing for where I'm at in my life. And from there, then I see what doors open. So for some people, it's working with the same facilitator over and over again. For me, it's often like, what is what is the full yes that yeah. has presented itself? Because we're presented with so many options and opportunities that it can get diluted by trying to rationally think what's yeah. the right one. And for me, it's like, okay, this is just a full yes. There's no hesitation. There's no question. The time is right. And then moving forward in that direction. And I feel like you and I probably both believe that, you know, when the student is ready, the, mm -hmm. the different versions of teachers, whether it's a person or an experience mm -hmm. or, you know, will rise up and present themselves for mm -hmm. us. So that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. You mentioned that part of what you do in the pre-processing is let them know, you know, some potential things that can happen and some mm -hmm. tools. Can you talk, that kind of like stuck out for me. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Part of it is really helping them understand what can happen. Uh, I'll back up a little bit. For one, we are humans that have expectations. And even if one says, I don't have expectations, I think we know at our core that's not true. And so especially if someone does not have experience with this, I will say it's normal to have expectations. But one of the most common things I hear after people have these journeys is that's not what I expected. In fact, it's oh, the most common thing that I hear. And so it's just a funny reminder that we can't know what to expect. So the more you can surrender to whatever shows up, then that's going to be very liberating for you to just be with whatever it is. Um, and then the next tool that I encourage people to really use as an ally is curiosity. That's one of the most wonderful things you can bring into these journeys, no matter what shows up. Uh, just get curious about it and get curious about why it's showing up and what you can learn from it. And yeah. I think that's applicable in life in general, but in particular in this sort of work, because things can show up that can sometimes be out of left field for what you thought might show up. And there's a lesson there, maybe a lesson for how it has impacted who you are today. Uh, and just really approaching whatever it may be with that state of curiosity and openness to receive. Um, and another that I tend to find people find surprising is that you can have conversations with whatever consciousness is present, you know, whether you yeah. want to call it the mushrooms or your soul or whatever, you can ask it questions. And you might not get the answer in the form that you want, but it can be really amusing to have this experience where you ask a question, you receive an answer. And so an example would be, um, one of the most famous researchers, Roland Griffith, who has pioneered a lot of what you're seeing now in research studies, was recently diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, 
And he had never previously talked about doing any psychedelics. And because he's now in a terminal state, he has been open talking about his own personal use. And he mentioned in particular one journey that he went into, because we're now using this for terminal diagnosis and palliative care as an area of study, is he went in and he asked, is this how I'm going to die? Oh, wow. And he got an answer that allowed him to live his life in a more peaceful way. And so it's questions like that, that you can have as maybe a specific intention for certain journeys. Uh, You're not always guaranteed to get the answer that you think you're going to get, but you can ask. So that I think is another thing that is a wonderful tool to know you can take into this. Yeah, I think that's an amazing tool. I wouldn't have considered that. Um, I have to ask, I feel like this is maybe a juvenile question, but is it ever scary in there? Yes. <laughs> I would be absolutely lying if I said that it is it isn't at times terrifying. Yeah. Um, but there is often the most rich experience at the end of quote unquote difficult journeys for people because they are working through some of the things that have held them back in life in ways that they weren't even aware were working. So an example would be I recently worked with somebody and they literally spent their entire journey with their fear, like their fear. The entire journey was about facing their fear. And what was interesting is that was one of their intentions. It was specific and they couldn't have realized that they were going to go into six hours of sitting with fear. Yeah, But they got an opportunity to see how fear was showing up in their relationships, in their creativity and their desire to move forward in different business ventures. And so now fear, and they literally were able to feel how fear was wrapped around their entire nervous system Wow! and start to unwind that experience for themselves. So yeah, not only can it be scary, it can be sitting with challenging emotions and that's often what we're here to do. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. On the other side of it with that example that you just gave with the fear, is it something where now this this person is more conscious as they move through their life and can, I don't know, be, make friends with their fear and, and mm-hmm. see it as a support or a, a inhibitor or whatever it might be in that case? Yeah. I, I know for them, it's really become a place where they can see when it starts showing up in life more clearly and understand that it is a function of things that have ex- they have experienced at different times. The fear is not present day. The yeah. fear is a mechanism of often things that happened in their childhood that show up in certain situations and they go into a fear response, which for them is avoidance. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to understand that this avoidant personality is showing up as a byproduct of fear that is from a younger time, they can now face it and see it as a learning tool. Like, how do I want to show up as myself now? And it's also given them tremendous liberation to start building a toolkit of things that help them to navigate their nervous system. Like they are now a student of their nervous system. And so as much as it was something that was terrifying, and this would be an example of someone that has done several journeys and like they where they've gone from their first to where they've gone from their third and how they navigate in the life they would never have thought when they first started this that this is where they would be or this is yeah. what they would be doing but it was because all of these portals within themselves have opened up so it's not that fear goes away 
It's not that anxiety goes away. That's something I think I really want to make clear for people coming into this is like, I have seen so many people say, if you can just make my depression go away, I I would cut off a finger if I never felt depression again. And that's not realistic because these are all parts of ourselves. So how can we orient to being a more whole version instead of having these parts that are not being shunned often? Like, I don't, you're bad. I don't want to feel you. Um, And then really welcoming them in such a way where they don't need to uh, lash out and, and be seen and then form a new relationship with it where it's not as scary. You know, how, how do you befriend fear so that it can be an ally instead of an adversary? And the container of these spaces is a place that is often very supportive to create that new relationship. I love that. I mean, I feel like there's so much in what you said. If someone is, I know that you support them and keep an eye on them and facilitate Mm -hmm. and are taking copious notes. If you recognize that they're in a fear-based experience, is there something that they can do inside the experience? And is there something you can do from outside the experience? Yeah. So there there are many breathing techniques that you can do um, that can help. But whether you're able to tap into that in that state is a different story. We do talk about those beforehand. And another thing that we talk about in the evening before is if it ever gets too hard, we can get you out. Okay. All you have to do is let me know. We can get you out. So it's a reminder that we came here to do this work, but it doesn't have to stay hard. It doesn't have to stay heavy. You know, it can be as simple as changing the environment that you're in, you know, taking off the eye shades, changing the music, engaging with me for a little while, uh, grounding, putting your feet on the ground. There's lots of ways that you can come in and out of the challenging experiences. And so that is part of the preparation in the evening before. So that people know that like, if it gets hard and it gets scary, that's okay. That's why I'm here. And I got you, you know, there's lots of ways that we can change that. And also if it is getting hard and scary, can you be with it and be curious about it for a little while and just breathe through it and see what it has to teach you. So those are, it's, it's really, and, and yes, sometimes it can get really challenging. And I, I, I can honestly say that people that have had some of the most challenging journeys have also had some of the biggest transformations because of them. It makes sense. I mean, just because all growth happens outside the comfort zone and that mm-hmm. seems like it'd be very outside the comfort zone. But I love – I thank you so much for sharing that because I think that is so comforting, you know, thinking about going into a journey like this of mm-hmm. like, okay – Yes, all these tools. Yes, you know, we can ask questions and be curious. But also, side note, like you could just leave if you like, there is an exit strategy here. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes it so profound um, to have you as a supporter through Mm -hmm. the journey. Because I feel like that's, I don't know, for me personally, I think that's the thing that's always made me a little hesitant about. experience and things in a non-therapeutic setting is like, mm-hmm. no, I need a person who like mm-hmm. can, can be like hold the staff and be the guide here, mm-hmm. you know, in case something goes awry or in case the human in me starts panicking about what I'm experiencing that can maybe usher me through some tools or an exit. You know what I mean? So I oh, love yeah. That. Yeah. No, it, it makes so all the sense in the world. We want to feel safe. We yeah. want to feel like we're going to be taken care of. And there's plenty of reasons why there's a lot of stigma around yeah. this work. And I think we're in the process of 
working through a lot of stigmas in general. So just to know, I, I feel as though for me, I feel like I can face a whole lot more if I feel like I'm in the presence of somebody that can at least be with me in yeah. that moment without judging me and just giving me love and compassion and support. That's that that goes a long ways. So uh, that's part of what I hope to provide for anyone that feels that this is a path that's calling to them. Well, and it's, I guess, full circle back to the way that you describe the work is creating this container for more self-love, more self-compassion, more understanding of um, the core of us without all of the complications that we experience mm-hmm. in our journey in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the other thing I want to impart is I, I, I want to make this a very co-creative process. Yeah. And that's part of what makes it liberating, you know, is to really encourage someone to tap into what's going to be supportive for them uh, throughout this and and use that as part of the empowerment of it. Yeah. And it's I, I want to create with what I know and I want to co-create with someone based on what they know about themselves. And that to me makes it really interesting to participate in. What is so fascinating too is I feel like, so of the people that I have um, had inquiries recently about the type of work mm-hmm. that you do, because it's not uncommon for people to just assume that I would know things about mm-hmm. this, even though I don't. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the two, I don't know, buckets that are rising up as like primary are people either wanting to have the spiritual experience mm-hmm. you know, chapter that you described, or people who are in grief wanting some I don't even know if it's comfort or clarity or understanding or healing or a little bit of all of that. Do you, I don't know, how have you worked with people who are in grief from loss of a, a loved one or, or a huge life transition? And, and what do you see on the other side for them? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Uh, I have recently been in my own grief of losing uh, a pet and like grief is, thank you. Yeah. It's, I, I totally, grief is such a deep emotion and I think it's a wonderful portal. And I have worked with several people who have navigated. um, I think that transition of losing happens in a lot of different ways, whether it is losing a loved one, uh, a professional transition, empty nesting. And one of the things that I find is there is this wanting to come to terms with it. And then also identifying with who am I now? Yeah. Because there's often part of yourself that has identified with whatever you're losing. And so I think it's using it as multifold is like this thing happened and how, uh, what ways can one come to peace with that? And I've seen yeah. that show up in in journeys where they have been visited by uh, loved ones or have been able to really have a new way of looking at that loss uh, with a, a different level of compassion and understanding that allows for more freedom of not moving away from it, but just being with it, kind of like being with other challenging emotions. How can I be with my grief in a way that makes it something that is more of an ally? And so there is that piece. And then often when that relationship is there, where you can be with the grief in a different way, then it also opens up the exploring what the next chapter is like. 
without that part of your life that is in the same physical presence as it was before. And so I think those two work hand in hand in this work is, is really processing that emotion in a way that is supportive and also using it as a portal to moving through life in a new, in a new way. I think that's so profound what you said, because kind of similar to what you said earlier about the person who said, if you could just take my depression away, Mm -hmm. you know, these emotions will be part of us and part of mm-hmm. the fiber of who we are going forward. Because like you said, it's it's something that did happen. It's mm-hmm. real experience. And how do we – I noticed that especially with people who are grieving the loss of a loved one, many people seem to struggle or there's a lot of um, resistant feelings around the term moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of learned I don't love that term because mm-hmm. it's just like continuing on, right? It's not right. necessarily – moving forward somehow – I don't know, gives the feeling that like, we're going to have to like leave this Mm -hmm. person behind or this Mm -hmm. relationship behind. But it sounds like the way you're saying it, it, it it really is a way of integrating Mm -hmm. all of these things that are happening and potentially having new ways of understanding, you know, either the connection or the emotions or, or what can be as a next chapter or a next Mm -hmm. phase. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just even hearing you use the word, integrating. I think that's why it's such a common term in this is like, here's the experience that you had. How do we integrate it into our life and make it yeah. transformational? So I really appreciate you and the language you use. And, and that I think grief applies very deeply to it. And I, I know that you work with a lot of people in navigating that. So um, I think it's really beautiful to be able to bring awareness to the fact that the idea of grief going away is actually not necessarily honoring how beautiful an emotion it is because grief is, at least in my experience, and I I love when I hear other people reflect it, is like grief really is an emotion that shows us what's deeply of value to us. And if there's a a capacity to be with it and, and again, see like, what is this teaching me? Like, what am I, what am I really like grieving at a deep level? And then being able to honor those things within and not move forward, but move with. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's so beautiful. If someone, I'm of course going to link your website and all the things in the show notes, but if someone is feeling, um, maybe more safe and more interested in this journey Mm -hmm. after our conversation, what would be the best next steps for someone to either get in contact with you or to find a facilitator that would be the best for them? Yeah. So um, if they want to get in contact with me, my website is journeyintopsychedelics.com. And that is going to be a place where they can schedule to just have a conversation. Uh, I'm happy to support people if they would like support finding another individual. Uh, I'm trying to put together actually a YouTube video now about how to find a facilitator because I, I think that. now that's like a big question. It's not done yet, but I'm happy to share it when it, when it is. Yeah. And for people who are curious, I would say find your local psychedelic society. That's okay. a wonderful way. Um, ask people who you know that have worked with a facilitator if you know anyone. Um, that can be a lovely source of referrals and there are now websites that can support it. So, 
there's things like psychable or psychedelic passages or mushroom tau. And those are places that actually have facilitator listings okay. and they're often by states. So there that. are now, uh, you have the ability to be able to find folks in that way, which I think is really wonderful. And then from there, I would just encourage those that are seeking to really look for resonance with a facilitator yeah. and not necessarily use um, geography as right. a barrier, but really look for the right fit. You read my mind. That was going to be my next question. You, like me, are local here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of our listenership is is based here. But if someone lived somewhere else and they really just felt drawn to you as a facilitator, do you ever have people that will do the initial, like you said, Zoom mm-hmm. conversations and, and preparation and then come to town for that 40-hour mm-hmm. experience? Yeah. It's not uncommon at all. And we talk about how that can look and how I can support I commit myself to, um, I work with no more than three people a month because it allows me to fully commit to those three individuals and their schedules and their needs. So it is really curated in such a way where there isn't going to be a barrier between me being able to support the journey in whatever way is necessary. I love that. I cannot believe we've already been talking for an hour. I've talked to you for 10 hours and I I really will be uh, hoping and bugging you to come back and chat with us again. Yeah. Are you, I want to transition now into your speed round, which I feel like I just have so many more questions and, and want to know so much more um, about this. But I do think it's Maybe one of those things that also needs to be experienced to to like make the answers make sense. <laughs> kind of like mediumship, where I tell people like I can totally. explain it to you, but until you've had an experience, it's mm-hmm. you know similar to what you said. It's probably different than what you might think it's going to be based on what you've seen in movies. Totally, so. <laughs> yeah. It's it's what makes it magical, and the the word that's often used is ineffable. It's like there isn't necessarily the language to be able to describe it that does justice for the experience itself. Oh, girl. I complain about that constantly here. Like the (laughs) the language is not exactly close, but not it is not it. So, um, well, I am going to shift gears in a very awkward fashion, as is me. Um, So here are the spirit speed round four questions. And I I use the word speed loosely. So if I have to feel pressure to answer them quickly. Um, I would love it if you would share one thing that really shocked you or was unexpected about your journeys with the medicine. Uh, There was never a point in my life where I thought that I would be uh, having a conversation like this. When I was growing up, there was no like, I'm going to be a psychedelic guide. So I think that was probably the biggest thing is like, oh my gosh, this is my life now, pinch me. So I love that. I mean, that yeah, that's probably pretty shocking. Um, If you got to spend a day in the spirit world, you got the full tour, you got to spend time with everyone that you've ever known who's now crossed over, and it's almost time to return to your life, and your guide tells you you have one hour left and you can spend it with anyone who's on the other side, who do you choose and why? It would be my grandma. Uh, She is the person I called my angel and I did not have the chance to say goodbye in the physical form. So it's not that I have not done that in the spiritual realm, but I would, that would be my, that would be the hour. I love that. I want that for you. Um, even though we have spiritual gifts, we have very human lives. Uh, what's one quirky thing about you that people might be surprised to learn? 
Ooh, quirky thing about me. So I love sitting in the middle seat on airplanes. Interesting. <laughs> I that call is it- a quirky <laughs> thing about you, Brenna. <laughs> I call it middle seating. It's like a life thing that I love to do is like, I don't mind sitting there. I don't take up much space. And I know that it makes other people happy not to have to sit there. Oh, and then that. it gives me the opportunity to meet two new people instead of just one. So it's just kind of become a, a life thing that brings me joy. I love that is maybe one of the most unique answers I've ever heard. I love <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to consider that. Yeah. <laughs> um, leave us with a pearl of wisdom. What's one piece of advice that you wish that you had early on in your understanding of the way this medicine works or or what it can do for people? The I can feel myself activating just with this question. Uh, to me, this all comes to self-love. And we have looked at love as this conditional external relationship. And when you can cultivate a relationship with love within oneself, just like genuine, uh, unconditional love, it changes everything about the way that you show up in the world and the way the world shows up for you. Ah, that's beautiful. And I do feel like I haven't maybe looked into tons of facilitators, but with all the nerdy research that I have done, I don't feel like that's everyone's approach. So I think it is really special and unique to you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your light with us today. Thank you for having me. This has been a real joy and I'm grateful for you being in the capacity to make space for this. Well, we will hold you to another conversation then. (laughs) I look forward to it. (laughs) Thanks. Wow. What a conversation that was. So, I don't know, touching, so deep, so much information that Brenna was able to share with us. If you are curious about her work, her website has a lot of information on it. I will link it in the show notes, but you can find her uh, www.journeyintopsychedelics.com. Again, I'll link it in the show notes along with her name so you can find her work. Hopefully, this answered lots of the basic questions that you have. It certainly answered a lot of questions for me about what can happen in the experiences. I mean, I know we see what we see in movies and we hear people share stories, but really to get the true answers from such an experienced facilitator, I feel so grateful and lucky that Brenna was willing, able to share all of this information with us today. Hopefully you learned a little something uh, and maybe it opened your mind just a little bit to what is possible. And even if this doesn't feel like the right thing for you on your journey at this point. I think it's fascinating to get to ask questions from an actual facilitator rather than, I don't know, maybe the sensationalized uh, view that we get just to have a, a different perspective of how profound it could be when it's used in a therapeutic way. And I have to say, I just love that she has also uh, is also co-founder of Epic, which is the Ethical Psychedelics International Community, because I feel like, you know, if this is going to be a true medicine and it is helping people to process and, and come to all of these recognitions and come to self-love, like she was saying, I think it's great to have standards, right? And it's one of my favorite things about getting to chat with Brenna is that she comes from such a place of integrity and compassion. And like she said, she's a nurturer and sees herself as a guide in this facilitation. 
So thanks for being here with me today. I am always grateful to have you with me inside the Spirit Speakeasy. And uh, hopefully you have learned a little something and are feeling like you know a little bit more about psychedelics in a therapeutic way. And I'm grateful to have you with me as always. So big hugs. Bye for now from inside Spirit Speakeasy.